All right. So it says Showtime. So so I've got this hooked up to YouTube, Twitter, and to LinkedIn. So so we're going to be on all of these. And I can see that people are already people are already piling in. We've got Kevin here who's joining us live uh, from Lakeland, Florida. Good to see you again, Kevin. And uh, Moncton Strong, so someone here in town, one of my neighbors. And uh, Newbie's in here from Utah, and I can I can see there's about a dozen people here who have arrived. So I'm going to play the intro reel, and we're going to get things we're going to get things underway as I produce. And I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome, Aga. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? We are actually uh, in the middle of a snowstorm today. So I'm oh, yeah? very few people at the office. Yes, this is, I think, the second big snowstorm of the season. So we are all excited and not really excited. But we'll manage. Well, you're I'm not too far away from me. So maybe I'll get the snowstorm tomorrow. Um, speaking of which, you, you're in Portland, Maine. Yes. And why don't you give us a little bit of, of your background? Because uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, entrepreneur visas and people moving to the United States today. And similarly, you've had your own story about moving to the United States as well. So why don't you give us a bit of your background and, and story and uh, how you ended up becoming a lawyer specializing in this kind of work? Okay. So my name is Aga Asbury and I work at Ford Mary. It's an immigration law firm um, located in Portland, Maine. Um, and I specialize uh, and we just do immigration law. And I specialize uh, in family immigration, e-visas. E-visas are both treaty trader visas and treaty investor visas and L-visas. And L-visas are intra-company transfer visas for, uh, for example, for um, corporations that would like to uh, set up an office in the United States and they already have a corporation abroad. And I don't know if you can, do you have a, sorry, no, everything's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, if they would like to set up an office in the United States uh, and transfer a CEO or another executive, um, I secure a visa for that individual. So that's an L visa. But 75% uh, of my practice is family immigration and the rest 25% is E visas, investor visas and L visas. And I, um, I chose immigration law because I went through this process myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I first came to the United States, I think it was in 2003, so almost 20 years this year in, in the summer. Uh, and I came as a J1 exchange student. Um, then I went back to Poland, my home country. I finished my studies and I came back again because I love the United States. I came back in 2005 and I stayed. Uh, I was first a J1 again. Then I um, changed my status to an F1 international student. Uh, and later I was sponsored for a green card by my um, family uh, relative, my ex-husband. 
Uh, and I became a naturalized U.S. citizen uh, at the end of my immigration journey in 2015. And I okay. specialize in family immigration, e-visas, and L-visas because I like that one-on-one -on -one contact with clients uh, in opposite to large corporations. So I get to know my clients very, very well at the end of the process when we are almost done with their um, immigration process. And because some of these processes can take quite some time. I mean, you're dealing with these people over an extended yes, period. Yes, especially with COVID delays right now and backlogs, it takes forever. So in your in explaining your background, you talked about e-visas and you talked about L-visas and you talked about the student visas and then different codes that go along with them. What, just for everyone who, who is not familiar with this stuff, let's start with what is a visa and then what are these different you know, letters and numbers that, that you're attaching to the different parts of your story? Okay, so a visa is basically, you can call it an endorsement sticker placed in a foreign citizen's passport and issued by a U.S. embassy or consulate. And uh, it's important to know that visa is is not, um, it does not allow you to enter the United States. It just allows you to travel to the United States and apply for admission at the port of entry. So you have to go through the process of applying for a visa at the embassy or consulate. You are approved, then you are um, given the visa in your passport. And with that visa, you travel to the United States, to the port of entry. It can be either an airport, seaport, or land border crossing. Um, so for example, for a lot of Canadians, uh, and then you apply, you ask the officer, immigration officer at that border for uh, to let you enter the United States. And it is entirely up to that officer, whether or not he or she will let you enter and for how long. Um, so you present the visa and then you, basically the officer will ask you a few questions, uh, will inspect the visa and then either allow you to enter or not allow you to enter the United States. And different different types of visa have different letters. Uh, so inter, stu, for students, it's an F. Uh, for uh, exchange students um, coming just here for the summer, is a J. Um, E-visas for uh, investors and treaty traders. Um, can go on and on. There are so many. And, and so the, the different programs have different sets of rules and criteria about oh, yes. who can apply different for them. And, right, process. Yeah. And you can also, so visa is uh, basically means to travel to the United States, and then you're given a status at the port of entry. And that status dictates for how long you can stay. So you, for example, if you have an e-visa, e-2 visa in your passport, you show up at the airport, you apply for admission, and then the officer admits you at the airport, admits you for uh, it's uh, two years. So you can be issued a visa for five years, but the status at the airport is only given for two years. And for different, uh, for for example, for a tourist visa, that's also um, pretty pretty interesting. Usually, a tourist visa B two is given for ten years, so the visa in your passport will be valid for ten years. But your status at the airport can be only given for max six months. Okay, so so you could maybe you applied for the tourist visas, so they they've done the paperwork, but you can only come in for a few months at a time. Yes, and then you leave, and then you come again using the same visa. Oh, okay, okay. And so we're we're going to talk about the investor visas today because we're all talking about business, and so from from. You know, there are a couple of different ones. Can you tell us what some of the, what 
the main ones are? There are two or three, I think, you believe you mentioned to me last time. Yes. So the main differences between uh, E1 and E2 visas, and those are non-immigrant visas, work visas. And then you also have an immigrant EB5 visa that is a direct path to a green card. So E1 and E2 visas are not uh, visas that lead directly to a green card. Uh, EB5 does lead directly to a green card. You get a green card at the end of the process. So um, I specialize in E2. Most of my clients are E2 clients, which is investor, treaty investor visa. But briefly, let's talk about E1. So E1 uh, is a visa treaty investor visa for an individual that would like to come to the United States to per conduct international trade. The trade has to be uh, international in scope. So at least 50% of the trade has to flow between the treaty country and the United States, and it has to be substantial. And they don't really tell you what substantial means. It just means that it has to mm. be continuous flow of the trade and uh, a lot of it over time. So uh, they will look at the volume of the trade and the price of items traded, sold. Uh, but you won't find any rule about how, like, how, what's the, what should the price be and anything like that. So. The so there's a lot of subjectivity involved in the process. Yes. So so this would be for if someone was in, say, a wine producing country and, and they were a wine wholesale merchant and they wanted to establish a company in the States, they could use that program to send somebody to the United States to to then manage this so that side wine, of the trade. Yes. And, and okay. bring the wine here. At least 50% of the sales, though, in order to be considered for this type of visa would have to be uh, the trade between the United States and let's say it's France, uh, between yeah. France and the United States. Um, and then the rest can be between Spain uh, and, and France and other countries, but 50% between the United States and the treaty country. So e-visas are subject to the treaty. They, they can only be given to individuals that are citizens of the treaty countries. Right now, there are 82 countries that either have an E1 treaty, E2 treaty, or both treaties. Uh, for example, Greece only has E1. Uh, majority of those countries have both uh, treaties, but you have to be careful, especially as a lawyer, when you get a client that, you know, you must be, you might be like, oh, okay, 100%, we can do E2. And then you might be at the end of the process with all the documentation ready, and then you discover, oh, shoot, you cannot do an E2 visa for that person because there's no treaty with that country of that person's uh, citizenship. So you always have, that's number one thing we all have to check, all immigration attorneys at the very beginning. Is there a treaty? Are you a citizen of a country that has a treaty with the United States? Uh, so that is an um, E1 uh, treaty trader visa. Uh, the one we are going to talk about is E2, so very briefly because we will discuss it um, further. Um, E2 treaty investor visa is for a person that has invested as, or is uh, actively in the process of investing into a US-based business. The business must be either purchased or created first, and you have to spend your own money. You have to place the money at risk before you can apply to the visa. Um, and again, it has to be subject to a treaty, so a treaty country, um, and you have to show substantial investment. Again, they won't tell you how much, but a good rule is uh, about 100000 unless it's a franchise or a um, consulting business. Then it can be a little bit less. Uh, so this is a visa. And then we have EB5 visa, which is an immigrant visa. 
and that uh, visa and a direct path to a green card and that visa uh, immigrant visa was created by the US government uh, so investors can invest um, get a green card through investment and create jobs uh, for US workers so how much um, the threshold starts at 800,000 Mm -hmm. And the enterprise must be located in a designated targeted employment area. A targeted employment area can be either a rural area or an area that has experienced a high unemployment, uh, high unemployment. So high unemployment is right now defined as at least 150% of the national average unemployment area. If you have more money and you don't want to be subjected to those areas, rural or high unemployment area, uh, you have to invest $1,050,000 in any other area. And on top of that, uh, you have to create jobs, full-time jobs for at least 10 US workers. Um, so that is a um, EB-5 immigrant investor visa. Now, immigrant uh, investor visa EB-5, um, it takes on average about two years to get the green card. Uh, some countries are subject to more wait time. For example, Chinese investors right now have eight years wait time before they can be issued a, a green card through investment. For India, so so, mm -hmm. so hang on. So that is it eight years before they can come, or that it just takes eight years once they're here to get the green card? No, before they can come. Oh. Okay. Well, All right. So that, that's a quite a substantial investment. Mm -hmm. That's a so long time. China yeah. is subjected to that a long wait time. Uh, India right now a little bit over three years. All other countries, uh, the wait time is basically how long it will take the government to process the petition, and it can take up to two years. Um, okay. Because of again, and it sounds it sounds like that's a visa program that's sort of been created as a as a form of an economic development tool, trying to attract investment into those areas that have that really could take advantage of having more employment. Right, and also that uh, EB five immigrant investor visa is not subjected to any treaty. So anybody you can be from any country. You don't have to be one of those treaty countries. Anybody can apply if they have uh, funds to apply. So the E2 visa, you, you're calling it a treaty visa because the United States has treaties with these other countries. Yes. Is that because there's some level of reciprocity in there that Americans are able to kind of maybe do something similar to those other countries? Is that the nature of that treaty? I would say so. Never really looked into mm -hmm. it, but okay. I would say it's a treaty of commerce, um, friendship, commerce and navigation. So I would say, yes, it has to be reciprocity. Okay. Otherwise, okay. why would cool. it wouldn't make sense to just do it for uh, one way? You 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 mentioned how the EB five visa has different rules for different areas, different amounts of investment. Do does the E two visa have any kind of different rules for different regions of the United States, or is it all one set of rules for the whole country? No. So immigration law is federal in nature. So immigration wise, you just have to show investment that you have invested or you are actively in the process of investing, uh, and then you apply for the visa. So uh, immigration wise, immigration does not really differentiate between different areas, but for your own. So because you have to purchase the business first or establish a business first and then apply for the visa, it would be beneficial to do some type of research, especially when it comes to licensing. It's easier to get licensing in some states than others. Um, 
and that's pretty much it. So you would want to do your own research about how easy is it to actually purchase the business or establish the business. And then once you have that business, that's when uh, we come, immigration attorneys come into play and we help you apply for the visa based on that business, uh, already having that business um, or investing into that business. Uh, now, uh, there are two ways to apply for um either visa or status. So you apply for a visa, E2 visa, directly with the US embassy or consulate. And this is mostly for clients that are abroad, already abroad. Mm -hmm. um, and then for clients that are already here, let's say uh, as students, international students or tourists, they have an option to change status directly with USCIS, which is a uh, main immigration agency in the United States. Um, and they apply with that agency to change status. But remember what I said at the beginning, visa is not status, status is not a visa. So what you're getting when you apply directly with USCIS, you're just getting status. So you can stay here in status, but you don't have a visa. So the first time you leave the United States in order to come back, you have to do what? Apply for a visa with the US consulate or embassy. And that's double the money because you have to go through that yep. different process, but similar um, documentation double the fees, immigration lawyer fees. Uh, and the tricky part is that, is that even, let's say you already have status given to you by USCIS. So you've been here for two years, you know, working on your E2 business, and then you decide to go home to Canada. And in order to come back, you have to apply for a visa with the US consulate in Toronto. First time applicants go to Toronto. They might refuse you. They don't care what USCIS, that USCIS issues and, and, and gave you status. They, they don't refer to USA, USCIS. They just, it's a completely brand new application for that embassy. And they might refuse you. If they don't like something, you might be stuck. So some people could actually become stranded in the United States. They might not be able to leave for abroad. fear that they couldn't get back in. Right, right. In the, or abroad, if they actually take the risk do it on their own which i never recommend and and then they apply with the uh, consulate let's say canada let's pick canada and then canadian um reviewing officer uh, u.s reviewing officer is a uh, embassy of the united states will say no i don't like it <laughs> so you're you're you have to you have to resubmit so it's not the end of the world whatever they don't like you always have an option to give them more documents or maybe make you know invest more money but never think that because you're pre-approved, which we don't, immigration attorneys don't really like that term pre-approved because it's not really a pre-approval. It's just you're given status. But because you're given that status first by USCIS, it doesn't mean that the embassy has to automatically give you that visa, which I've had prospective clients calling saying, what do I do? And I'm like, who, like, who filed? Oh, I filed on my own. I'm like, oh, let me see what I can do. Well, I can, I can see, I can see certainly how the, there's going to be value in having someone who handles this stuff every day working for someone. Another thing this. that happens a lot is that when clients file on their own, um, they, they might submit a wrong form. And then, um, so for like I had a client like this, my own client who decided to file for an extension of an E2 on his own didn't tell me and then it got denied a year later because he filed wrong form so i was able to save it there is a very special procedure to save people like him and we were we were able to save it save him but it was a long process and um he ended up paying double basically what what it would have been 
Yeah, we have a few uh, a few more comments from people. Victor says, hi, David. Hi, Aga. Th fascinating facts about visas. I've learned a lot already. Good to see you on today, Aga, or on uh, Victor. Um, v says, hello. Maybe this is one of your friends. Hi, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think my, my and, V. I know, I know somebody named V. Um, and then we have another question for Moncton Strong. How likely is it to buy a U.S. business and then be denied an E-2 visa? Has, has this kind of thing happened? Uh, not to me because I vet my clients really well and I always so I uh, do not accept cases I don't believe in or I will just tell you your investment is not high enough you have to invest more so it comes to investment how much money you've spent on the business again they won't tell you how much they want to see uh, but if you show up with 10,000 100 percent you're not getting that visa uh, so a good rule of thumb is around 100,000. Um, it can be less for franchises. It can be about 70,000, 80,000 for franchises. I have a lot of clients that show up and tell me, oh, I have a startup. There's no way I can come up to 70,000. And I always tell them, yes, you can. Because once you start adding up all those fees, all the for you, you paid for any professional services, um, you know, rent, uh, equipment, inventory, it's it's going to add up a laptop whatever you need uh for the business it's gonna add up uh, and it usually it it, it adds, adds up um so uh, i've seen cases with as little as fifty thousand, but it's all so investment has to be substantial right and it's uh they use this proportionality test um and the proportionality test is basically um it's used for analyzing whether an investment is su sufficiently substantial, and it's a comparison between the cost of an established business and the actual amount invested. So the lower the cost of the business, the higher the percentage of the investment has to be. So for example, if you own a business, you're a 50% owner of the business, you have to be at least 50% owner, and we'll talk about that, uh, requirements. And um, a US citizen owns the remaining 50%. Um, if you invest and let's say the cost the purchase price was 100,000 if you paid 40,000 and the US citizen paid 60,000 you're not getting that visa you're likely not getting that visa okay. it should be at least 50% so 50,000 but but it, you you should actually go higher because the higher the amount of investment the better chance you will be issued a visa now like i said if you are denied at the US embassy because investment is not high enough you can always invest more, come back and show that you invested more. Uh, it will take some time, but, you know, as long as you show that you actually have invested a substantial amount of money, you should be OK. Um, and the cost of the established business is the purchase price of or fair market value. The cost um, how, of that investment, how much you spend that you have to show to the officer at the US Embassy or Consulate, for startup is basically everything you had to pay for to establish that startup. So uh, equipment, inventory, if you purchased a restaurant, um, the building, the equipment, um, wages paid to your workers, everything, oh, any professional fees. Funny fact is that immigration lawyer fees are, you cannot add them towards the investment. I don't know why they don't like it. They actually refuse um but any other professional fees uh, are okay so keep receipts keep those receipts and because they add up and then you want to show all of it to the officer at the uh, u.s embassy 
or to USCIS if you are changing status in the uh, in the United States. Uh, a couple more questions have popped in the room. Uh, someone wants to know, is Buffalo the only port of entry for E2 coming from Canada or is it any bland border crossing that somebody's able to do as a port of entry? I think it's any. Okay. And so, um, and um, what's the typical cost for an E2 visa from the US uh, using the services? Let's, let's talk about what the government charges and then maybe what professional help might cost someone too. So uh, the visa itself is $205. And if you have family members, immediate family members, uh, it's the same amount for each family member. So you have to apply, you have to pay it to the um, online system. And then once you, you've paid and you have to send your application in advance, they have to review it. And then they set, uh, set up an appointment and then you show up and they talk about the business. So $205 for the visa itself. Immigration lawyers are obviously more than that. Uh, should I tell you how much I charge? Yeah, sure. So the for the base, uh, no issues petition, it's 4500 for the individual investor. And then for any family member, immediate family member, uh, it's 750 right now for each individual, uh, each family member, immediate family member. So depending on how many children you have, uh, minor children, and if you're married, um, it will go up. When, when, um, when the primary applicant is getting the E2 visa, it's because they want to be in business. And if the whole family relocates, let's say one of the dependent children was uh, like a 17 year old child, would that 17 year old be able to go and get a job at McDonald's? Uh, having entered the country on that visa? Uh, not a job, a spouse can, children cannot, but children can uh, can study. Oh, okay. So it could go attend university. The spouse could work outside of that business. The, the right. Being so the child, in. the okay. child, once the child uh, turns 21, though, the child is no, it, it, the child has to be under 21 to be a dependent okay. E2 um, visa holder. Okay. Um, and so you had mentioned already that the the money being invested has to come from the investor. What what if it's uh, somebody who wants to come in and borrow money in addition to their own investment? We have a question here asking: Does the U.S. government SBA loan is it applicable to someone trying to buy a U.S. company in this process? Do you know about that? Uh, so loans are permissible. Uh, however, they cannot be secured by the assets of the E2 business. It has to be secured by the assets of your, uh, let's say your house um, or some uh, anything else you would use for um, for to secure the loan. Uh, because they they really want to see, they really want to see that you're bringing risk. equity and cash in with you to do this business thing. Yeah, and the, that, main, the main requirement of this visa is that uh, they are giving it to people that place their own assets, their own money at risk. So if the business fails, if you do not develop and direct the business and it fails, no visa and you lost you lose the money you lose your own money and that's why they give it to you the visa because they know okay you spent 100,000 on this business you going to make sure that the business is successful okay um we have a we have a question uh, in the comments asking does and you had already answered this the business has to be purchased before you apply for the e2 visa or the business has to be started before 
Um, but is there any restrictions on the kind of business that you can invest in? Uh, it has to be uh, legal on a th- on federal level. So anything with THC, CBD is out. Um, yeah. So basically legal in all 50 All the cannabis-related businesses, yes, that kind of thing. those are yeah. out. You cannot do any of that. Um, right. So it has to be legal on federal level. So whatever your heart desires, really, you can do. I have a lot of clients with restaurants. Uh, I have a lot of clients buying gas stations, convenience stores. Uh, for startups or uh, consulting businesses, mind you, though, for consulting businesses, you still have to show that investment. I know that it's consulting business. You have your desk, computer uh, in your own home. No, because then they would be giving E2 visas to everybody. They are not giving E2 visas to everybody. OK, you cannot just invest 10,000, show up at the embassy and say, hey, I have a consulting business. Everybody would be doing it. Not everybody is doing it. So you have to invest still. You have to still invest that at least. 60 70,000 substantial investment to sh- to to be approved. So so what might that involve? For example, somebody might prepay an office rental for a year in order mm-hmm. to get a big receipt mm-hmm. for this investment they car, made. Okay. buy a company car. Um another so uh I always I always recommend that you actually uh because another requirement is marginality. And marginality is that the U.S. business must be more than just a marginal enterprise, and um, it cannot be the business cannot be merely a means to support the investor and his or her family. So the underlying goal, really, for the E2 business is to uh, create jobs for U.S. workers. So let's say marginality. Uh, if you don't want to have any employees, then your business has to be uber successful you have to make a lot of money because you cannot just let's say you have a small business a restaurant and you you know you you take salary out of it fifty thousand for you and and your spouse and you think this is enough uh and the business makes just fifty thousand per year and that's all i get paid and now it's not going to it's not going to work because it's not going to fulfill that marginality requirement you have to it has to be more than mere uh the, the, the just merely means to support the investor and his her family uh, so you would have to on top of that profits would have to be more to overcome this issue or bypass this issue you do what you hire u.s workers uh, ideally u.s citizens you create jobs for u.s citizens and that way you don't have to show that the business is uber successful you're making millions of dollars you are making a um, sufficient profit for yourself and the business, and then you hire, you give jobs to U.S. workers, uh, U.S. citizens, ideally. Uh, the more, the better. Uh, you have to, when you apply, first time you apply, especially if it's a startup, um, you have to submit a very detailed business plan with five years pro- of projections for profit and loss and staffing projections, and you have to show them that you will be hiring those people. You might not need five people at the very beginning in year one when you have a consulting business, but at the end of year three or five, you better have in that business plan sure. the hiring because otherwise they might not give you the visa. What is the typical term length of the visa? Uh, the, it depends the, on the country. How long are you allowed to come in to do your business before you have to redo another uh, process to extend your stay? So it depends on the country. Different countries have different rules. And I wrote it somewhere and I don't think I have it anywhere. But um, let's say Canada is five years, I believe. It's issued for five years. So is Italy, five years for the visa. Status is only two years. 
So when you enter, it's always two years in status. Uh, some countries, I think it's Pakistan or Bangladesh, only three months for the visa. Wow. Makes zero sense for them to go through embassy because they pay all this money. They come here unless they're already abroad. Majority of them choose to arrive on a B2, B1 or B2 uh, tourist visa or visitor for pleasure or business. Uh, and then change status and just stay here in that status unless they have to travel and they apply for that visa. Um, some uh, other countries have it three years. Um, so it all depends. It all depends. For example, Australia, I think Australia is also five years, but then you have to pay this reciprocity fee, which is, I think, I believe it's like 3500 which you have to warn your client because it's not just application visa fee, which is, oh, 205, like $205. And then you get the visa and then they say to the, at the embassy or consulate, oh, where's your credit card? We also need 3,500 from you today before we can issue the visa. So Australia has a huge reciprocity fee. Uh, other countries might not have it at all. Uh, some countries have it, let's say 50 bucks or 300 bucks or something. So, so that's, that's a fee charged by Australia for Australians that get the E2 visa. Uh, that, uh yes. Reciprocity. Okay. All right. So inter interesting way, you know, I guess you, you try to tax people on their way out the door, right? I mean, <laughs> Hey, they, <laughs> they're not gonna be around to vote next time. Right. <laughs> Um, uh, v left another comment. She says, yes, Aga helped us Aww. get apply for E2 visas. Aggie's, Aga is so helpful and friendly. We're very happy to work with Aga. Thank you so much. Uh, so I love happy v. customers. He's, he's awesome. Awesome. Cool. Um, and so then I've got another question in here that says, you know, talking about how you have to buy the business before you apply for the E2 visa, then asks, you know, how do you buy the business? How do you do your due diligence? But I think you just alluded to that. You come to the United States on a on a different visa, like a B1 mm -hmm. uh, business visa to conduct the business of doing the acquisition. And then mm -hmm. you have to leave to apply for the E2. Is that right? If you choose to go through the embassy, yes. Uh, or you can change okay. status within the United States with the USCIS, but then you're given just the status. A lot of clients- Right, and we, and we talked about that, about the problems that that might lead to, okay. Um, and so um, the E2 visa does not create a path to citizenship. That was one, a question that someone had emailed to me. So we've already covered that. Um, are there people who come in on the E2 visa that do eventually become citizens? Like how, how might they do that? Uh, y yes. Yeah, so it's not, uh, so is it a direct path to a green card? Yes, and it's not, but there are options. Uh, there are ways to do it. So. Number one would be if you're a single uh, investor, you get married to a US citizen and then you get your green card that way. Or you get sponsored by, uh, through employment by another company that really wants you. So then you are no longer in your E2 status. You, you forget about the E2 visa and your own business, the business you or either may, you might be bought out, but um, you basically go and work for somebody else that is willing to sponsor you. But then that process is very long and a lot is involved and it might not work out. Another option is to self-petition for national interest waiver, uh, which I'm doing for some of my clients now, wink. Um, and uh, for the government, you have to send a petition to the government, basically convince them that you are amazing as an entrepreneur uh, you created the, all those jobs. Your business grew 
like crazy in the last few years, uh, you know, since you've obtained the E2 visa. But you have to show them that the proposed endeavor has both substantial merit and national importance. You are positioned, very well positioned to actually advance that proposed endeavor. And uh, it will be very beneficial to the United States to waive the requirements of a job offer from a sponsoring employer. So the labor certification, because that labor certification is that one that um, if you are being sponsored by uh, another employer, um, then it takes a long time and you might, it might not be certified. So it's almost like if you build a substantial enough business, they're kind of creating a, a way for you to kind of self-sponsor your own uh, permanent settlement because of the importance of this business to the community that you've that you've built community and you have to be amazing at what you're doing so you have to be an amazing business person create jobs for us citizens and basically uh grow the business uh, substantially so show tax returns get letters from uh people in your community fellow business owners uh, chamber of commerce uh, in support of your petition basically we have to show them you're amazing okay I've got another question here from someone who had emailed me a, a, a couple questions and asks if I already have a small business that I can move with me to the U.S., would this be an advantage? And, and you know, businesses can't technically be moved. This person would have to create an American entity to operate the business. But I guess in their business plan, they could simply say, like, here are customers I already have that I would be able to start serving for my new business. It would probably give a more certain um, aspect to the business plan, wouldn't it? Um, yes and no, you still have to show significant substantial investment into the mm -hmm. U.S. business. Uh, so that's number one they will be looking at. Hire U.S. workers, U.S. citizens, ideally, uh, and then fulfill those other requirements um, that are needed for the E-2. Uh, but potentially, yes. Okay. So it, it might be easier on the entrepreneur knowing that they're already going to have some business, but that's not the primary thing that, that uh, the immigration people are going to be looking at. Uh, yes, they don't. It, it's not that it, you will have advantage. The only advantage could be that um, one of the criteria uh, is you have to develop and direct the business. Um, but really, I mean, you can show on your resume that I, I've, I've been doing this in Canada for a number of years and I have experience and I will be great at it. They might look at it, but it's not uh, it's not one of the requirements that you must have experience in the same field. You can you can be an IT engineer in Canada and then you can open um, a beauty clinic in the United States or something like that. Similar. So completely different field from your education and your uh, experience. What uh, now you mentioned that the length of the of the period you're allowed to stay could be five years. What happens if your business fails? Are you, now that you're in the States, your business has failed, you've closed the doors, can you just stay there for the length of the term and just go get a job somewhere else? So, no, technically you're supposed to leave. Um, okay. As soon as your business ceases to exist, you're supposed to leave. Uh, now, nobody's going to, I mean, unless you... They might do a random audit. They they can always do a random audit and show up at your door. So if there is, you know, you had a restaurant and you closed down, 
and you are still here in E2 visa, that will raise some red flags and they will ask questions like, where are you? Why is the business closed? Why are you still here in E2 visa? And that might be problematic. Um, most likely it would be problematic uh, if you want to ever come back to the United States. So uh, I would suggest if you know that the business is not doing great and you, are, you will be closing the door, change your status to some other status um, or just or just close and close the business and leave. Okay. Uh, we have a question asking if somebody could be an investor or an operator of a search fund uh, to enter under the E2 visa. So uh, E2, do, you know what a, do you know what a search fund is? Uh, no, but is it a, if it's a passive investment, passive investment is not allowed. So what a search fund is, is you pool a bunch of money together and then you work full time on the on the job of looking for a business to acquire and then you acquire it to operate it. Uh, so it depends. It depends. OK, so let's say if you are you have to be a 50 percent owner, first of all, uh, you mm -hmm. cannot be less than 50 percent owner. Let's say it's a corporation. So it's umbrella, like a holding company. Uh, you can That's looking to acquire an operating company, yeah. but still that company should have employees and you need to invest in that company. So I guess, I guess the answer to that would be is you could just set up the search fund and work on your search from the other country. And then at the moment you find something to acquire, that acquisition could become the catalyst for the E2 application. Because uh, so, then you're actually making the investment in the operating business. So the business has to be U.S. based. So that search fund would have to be a U.S. based business. Right. And so so for the person that is involved in the search fund, they could they could be working on that from their home country when they find the business oh, I know what you're acquire, they acquire and, and have to buy. Right. Right. So when they make the acquisition, that event would be the catalyst maybe for applying for the E2 visa. Uh, but you have so you have to. Yes. But then but then you have to move to the United States. You will move to the United States and you have to develop and direct the business. But which business you are really developing and directing. So a lot of my clients establish an LLC umbrella. Um, let's say AGA LLC, and uh, and then they purchase, the LLC purchases the business, let's say a restaurant, 50% of the restaurant, mm -hmm. and that LLC is your E2 umbrella business. So it's kind of similar to that. But then you also work on the restaurant. And the reason why I recommend LLC umbrella uh, E2 company is that um, any future investment, so any future restaurant that you might open or convenience store under the same LLC, umbrella LLC, is considered an investment that flows uh, into that LLC. So you can, when it's time for an extension, you can show all this additional investment. You're just not limited to that one restaurant. Because if you were to purchase in your own name, if I were to purchase a restaurant, not through an LLC, that restaurant would become my E2 business. And I, if I were ever to buy another restaurant, that other restaurant is not my E2 business. My E2 business is just my first restaurant. So, uh, so I always recommend have an LLC or a corporation umbrella at E2 company, and then you can purchase all those businesses. And all of those businesses, you can show that investment when it's time for an extension, because uh, at some point you yeah. will have to extend. 
And so, and how, is there any limit to the number of times you can extend it? No, I've, I've had clients, I have clients that they've been here for 20 plus years. Uh, they just keep extending and uh, some of them are actually, uh, they have US citizen children born in the United States and they're waiting for the children to become 21 so they can sponsor them for a green card. Okay, wow. Okay. As long as so, the business is successful, up and running, you keep employing people, uh, pay taxes, you're a good, uh, you know, you have good moral character, no trouble, they will, they will continue giving you the extension. So then that's another path to citizenship through E2 is have a child and be a good parent. Yes, the second you get that first E2, have a child born in the United States and then wait 21 uh, years. Uh, another question uh, who just asks, you know, every time you want to extend, is that something again that you should be involving your immigration lawyer with? Oh, yes. Like I said, I had a client who did not use me for an extension and he filed wrong forms. He fell out of status. Right. So he was facing deportation. And when he realized, because they won't tell you at the beginning of the, when you send the for, wrong form, they, they, they won't immediately send it back saying, and he also did it online. The form he filed was an online submission. So online, there is no rejection that uh, if it was, let's say if it was a physical, like a copy of the petition that went physically went in, was sent to immigration, then they would have rejected it, sent a rejection letter, and he would have known back then, like, oh, something was wrong. I filed a wrong form. But because he did it online, he didn't know until at the end of the process. So a year later, he was already out of status. Wow. They said, oops, wrong form, you're out of status. So we actually argued. And like I said, there's a there's a way to save people like that. I don't recommend it, but uh, there's a way to do it, which we argued that um, the online submission should have been equal or even better than a um, hard copy submission. And it wasn't because he was never given a rejection letter. And we, we won that one. Wow. So you really had to fight it on Argue. the grounds of sort mm -hmm. of the, the technical aspects of yes. this. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so generally the timelines, I mean, you talked a little bit about the timelines for that, uh, that investor visa, you know, how the Chinese people have to wait so many years now. What typically are the timelines involved for an E2 visa? Uh, it depends which way you choose to uh, file your application. If it's in the United States, uh, uh, you can file with USCIS. Regular processing time takes about 10 months right now. Um, you, can, you can also file via premium processing. You pay the government extra, 2500 right now, to basically hurry up. And uh, they are supposed to give you some type of a decision. It doesn't mean that they will give you an approval. Uh, they might issue a request for additional evidence on day 15. So they are supposed to um, issue a decision uh, within 15 calendar days. But what they do a lot is because they get so many uh, premium processing submissions, they wait until day 15 and they issue a request for evidence. We call it RFE, which is basically everything you already sent they ask for it to buy themselves more time and you cannot argue you cannot argue with them saying i already sent it like what you cannot just take a look it's already there they know it's there oh they know it's there but they want more time so they ask for the whole submission again all those documents already submitted and you have to do it again you have to resubmit it so they already have more time because you have to you know make sure that you have all those documents maybe you add some more extra just to make sure uh, and then they have, uh, and then after that, that submission of 
RFE documents doesn't mean that they still have 15 days. Now they can take their time. Usually it's about um, two months or so with premium processing with RFE issued. Uh, and I always warn my clients like, okay, you will pay extra, but chances are we'll get an RFE because they will want more time. And on 95% of cases, RFE on day 15. Um, so if you do it via regular processing, usually there's no RFE um, because they have 10 months to actually uh, take, you know, review and, and take a look. They don't have to hurry up. Um, if you do it through through the embassy, it all depends on country conditions at the uh, embassy. So let's say because of COVID, huge backlogs, huge delays. Um, first time applicants in Canada have to go through Toronto. And right now it takes about a year to get an interview in Toronto for E2. Long, Just because long. of all the work piled up in the last two and, years. And okay. Toronto is the only one that takes all E2s, first time E2s. So they all have to go through that one consulate. And they, I believe they only do interviews once a week on Thursdays. Uh, I might be wrong, but I think it is uh, Thursdays. Uh, so all those applicants just, you know, once a week and you have to uh, file a submission online with them. They have to review it. Now, the good news is that for renewal, uh, usually if there are no substantial changes to the business. The business is still doing great. You just file online again, online submission. You send them your taxes, some financial documents to show them that the business is still uh, up and running. You still have uh, U.S. citizens as, as employees. And usually what happens is they waive the interview. So they ask you to send your passport in for stamping and that's it. And then they send it back for renewals in Canada. Okay. For, for American entrepreneurs that are looking to raise capital for the business that they're involved in, could, is this something that they might think about as a way to raise money, going and finding someone in another country who, who might use an investment in their business as an avenue to enter? Yes, and I think there are, uh, there are actually companies out there that do it because I get those emails all the time um that you know we are helping foreign investors to invest and move to the united states and if you have anybody interested uh let us know so yes there are companies that do it um uh yeah so i've never had a client that did that specifically but um yes it's the there are companies out there that do it okay okay um well this this has been really great what Thinking about the individual applicant, you know, I would assume that anyone who's going to be starting this process, they have to also be able to qualify under all the other things we might think of, like not having a criminal record and all that kind of stuff. What What are some of the, the basic rules that people should consider before they even think about this, uh, just for things that they may, may cause them not to qualify? Right. So I would say... Number one thing is that um, for the investment, it has to be, you have to show the government a clear paper path where the money came from, from point A to point B. And because the money, the investment funds cannot come from any criminal activity and you have to show it to them that it didn't. Uh, now, only showing that the money was in your bank account does not qualify. So for example, you purchase a restaurant, you, uh, you would have to show purchase agreement, signed and dated purchase agreement. Uh, then you have to show that the money was transferred from your account. Uh, so the buyer to the seller ended in the seller's account. So the seller got the money. 
but on top of that you also have to show where how did you get that money where did the money come from so if you had let's say 100,000 sitting in the bank account your canadian bank account how did you get that money so either you sold real estate in canada you have to show that documentation you inherited the money somebody passed away and left you the money you have to show a death certificate and relationship to you and the will that you know you were gifted or uh, you you inherited the money it can be a gift from your parents again if it's a gift a gift letter from parents stating it's it was gifted to you with no strings attached no uh expectation of repayment uh if it's a loan then loan documentation so you have to show where the money came from very important and they are very strict about it now so wait a second so if somebody um wants to do the e2 visa route you just said loan so if i borrowed the money in canada to invest in the u.s business is that okay mm -hmm. again okay. that it cannot be secured by the e2 business right so if but i owned a house secured, in canada yes. and i borrowed against mm -hmm. the house in canada i could use those funds to make the investment okay yes, because it's your money and you're risking your own money okay but not if i took it as a cash advance on my credit card uh, I've had, uh, actually, I've had clients who use their credit cards too, but then you have to show that you paid it back. Okay. So, so, so it kind of um, doesn't really make sense, right? Because you still have to pay it back. Okay. So, so the, the quality, there are still some rules then around the quality of the debt. They, they want to, to see that you are a person of substantial means bringing this money in. Okay. Yes, but uh, another right. important thing is that the money has to be spent. You have to invest. The money cannot be just sitting in your bank account. You cannot just show up with a, uh, your bank statement saying, oh, here, officer, I have 100000 sitting in my bank account. Give me a visa. Now you have to invest first and then apply for the visa. Okay. Awesome. Aga, this is this has been very informative. I know from the comments that people have put into the into the chat that people have learned a lot. I've I've, I've certainly learned a lot, and uh, you know I've I've met a lot of people over the course of my career who have been moving from one country to another, different countries, different rules, etc. Sometimes driven by the need to make an investment, like what we're talking about with the E two visa in the, in the United States, and other people who. <clears throat> you know, are using some other method, but they're still buying a business because they need some way of, you know, earning an income or whatnot. And I know that for the people that are, that have watched this and the people that are going to tune in later, this, you're going to dispel a lot of uh, questions and, and give people a lot of answers that they're looking for and figuring out how they, how to do this, if it's something that they want to do. I'm glad, I'm glad I could help. And uh, important things to remember, you have to, there has to be a treaty you can actually Google it. If you Google E2 treaty countries, it's going to show, show you the list. It's, all, it's on the government website. Um, you have to be at least 50% owner. And I will take a look at my notes because, uh, because I need to make sure I cover all of it. You have to develop and direct. No passive investments. You cannot just buy a business and be like, see ya, you know, make me money and I will never work on it. No, no passive investment. You have to actually develop and direct the business because they want to make sure you will make sure that the business is successful. Uh, substantial investment, we covered that, uh, around 100,000 less for franchises and consulting businesses, but still substantial in uh, relation to the, to the co um, cost of the startup or the purchase price. 
uh, it has to be real and operating so the business cannot uh, it has to be a real business basically it cannot be just some shock in the middle of nowhere it can be uh, it can be it, it also cannot be very important it cannot be real estate if it's for your own personal use so if you're buying a house in the united states that is not considered uh that specific uh, investment and you cannot use it as an e2 business um so real and operating for profit commercial business um marginality uh, you have to either make a lot of money through that business or you have to give jobs to uh, U.S. citizens. Um, and then last one is intent to depart. When you apply for the visa at the U.S. Embassy, you have to um, have um, intent to depart, meaning at the end of uh, when the business ceases to exist, you depart the United States. But you can stay as long as you want to, as long as the business is up and running, successful, and you give jobs to citizens. Awesome. Uh, Vildan says, thank you, David and Aga, for the great info. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And if people want to uh, experience the same great service that V did, how can they find you online, Aga? Uh, so I should have put my full name there, but I was in a hurry. Aga Asbury, and I'm at Ford Mary Law. So the website is uh, FordMaryLaw.com. Ford, F-O-R-D, Mary, M-U-R-R-A-Y, Law, L-A-W, Dot com and my name is Aga. You can see Aga A G A Asbury A S B U R Y Aga Asbury. And what I'm going to do, everyone, is once we're once we're finished up here, I'm going to amend the the notes on the YouTube channel to include the website and uh, and my full and, name uh, Aga's full name, uh, so that she'll be easy to find for anyone that wants to uh, to look it up. Just look it up on YouTube and look at the show notes. Perfect. So thank you very much, Aga. It's been a great conversation today. Thank you so much for having me and have a great rest of your day. Thank you everyone for I watching. Will. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and have gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.